you know, one of the biggest benefits in, in storytelling, joke telling, what have you, is the callback. Being <laughs> able to call back something that you heard earlier. Right. And so having things in the right order is pretty darn important. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it is all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. Your host is Peter Margaritas, the man whose name is pronounced like a cocktail, but spelled like an inflammation. Peter is the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of his business, The Accidental Accountant. Peter's goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 91. And my guest today is Jim Canarucci, who is the founder of Transition Management Advisors and Constituent Hub. He works closely with executive teams to help them implement the strategies developed in the boardroom. Jim serves on the advisory board of the Ohio State University Leadership Center and is also on the board of the Laughter Arts and Science Foundation. Jim is also an NFL owner as a shareholder of the Green Bay Packers. Now that is something really cool. He's the author of Change Management Project, The Next Step, The Skill Sets of a Change Leader, Seven Essentials for Emerging Leaders, and is also the author of Personal Brilliance. Jim's work has been featured in the New York Times, The Economist, and Entrepreneur Magazine. Personal Brilliance has been published in many languages throughout the world and has reached number one on Amazon.com's self-help bestseller list. Without a further ado, let's get to our interview. Jim, thank you very much for taking time to spend with me today on my podcast. I'm, I'm so looking forward to our discussion. Pete, I'm just thrilled to be here. I think we're going to have some fun. I think we are too. And Jim and I know each other for a number of years through our relationship with the National Speakers Association. And with that being said, Jim's not one of your traditional speaker types that you would think with NSA. So if, if you could describe your business and what you do to my audience, uh, I think that would go a long way in helping them understand the crux of really what our conversation is going to turn into. Sure. Uh, Pete, when I first put on a tie, uh, while I was still going to college, uh, I was involved in leading large organizational change. It just seemed to be the thing that I was always involved in. And uh, about 1995, I decided to go out on my own and start a uh, boutique advisory firm along the lines of helping my clients, big companies usually, uh, implement large organizational change. I was always the guy they kicked out front to talk to the group, so that's where the speaking thing comes <laughs> in. Uh, and so there's a healthy dose of teaching in my practice, uh, but really working with senior executives who are leading change, it then took me into the concept or idea of innovation because they're so tightly put together. That's where the book Personal Brilliance comes in. And then most recently, I've gravitated towards automating the process of leading large organizational change. And we started a separate company called Constituent Hub so that we're actually making the difficult practice of leading change well more possible by automating as much of that process as, as we possibly can. So that's what we're very involved in now. Um, the status of that software is that we're working with our existing clients uh, using the software, and we're getting ready to put it out there in the marketplace and, uh, and, and really uh, make a big splash with it very soon. And so a lot of our mindset, especially with the work you're doing in your upcoming book about how to communicate these sometimes complex ideas, uh, I think is, is why we ended up sitting across the table from each other. Exactly. And can you give me an idea of the software and what it does and how it helps to automate? That, that, part, that part fascinates me. Sure. It's, sure. it's enterprise software. Uh, so it's designed to use across the whole company. And we, we have change initiatives in the organization. And it might be a reorganization of a department, implementing a new computer system or a new 
process or practice within the company. Uh, and, and many larger organizations have hundreds of these going on simultaneously. So one of the things our software does is for the first time, give you the ability to look at an individual person within the company and know how many changes they're engaged with or involved with. And then also being able to see all of those changes across the enterprise. And so those individuals that are leading that change, project managers, portfolio managers, product managers, would use Constituent Hub. It's, it's basically a tab that's open all of the time on their desktop. And they do the day-to-day management of change. So communication, analyzing those constituents who are, who are going to be affected. That's, you've heard the term stakeholder from project management. I just changed the word to constituent because it implies that we actually care about the people and are taking care of them and own their their results, right? And so that analysis of those constituents, who's resistant and how we can help them, measuring whether they're ready for that change and can, can actually do their work with the new changed environment. Those are the kinds of things that what we found over time are difficult to do. They're so hard that we've actually institutionalized not doing them. So we actually implement changes sometimes and don't even know who's affected by that change. We just make it go live and see what happens. Right. And, and so it's it's a living Dilbert cartoon, right? And so <laughs> uh, our, our goal is to automate that process. So that if I have a conversation with you in March, you're a department manager about how the change is gonna affect your department. Then later in November, when I talk to you, I could actually use your language because we have a system, a place to record all of that, keep track of that, and use that properly in the leadership of change. So that's what Constituent Hub is designed to do. Uh, A lot of this work is done now, if done at all, on spreadsheets or in SharePoint, and we're pulling it all together and doing it in a cohesive way so that change leaders can actually get the job done. How long did it take to develop this? Well, yeah, well, you know, I, I, I wrote a book called Change Project Management, The Next Step, a while back. And it was before we had the technology capabilities with, that we have today, the cloud, et cetera. And I wrote that book, with, which is really a methodology, a procedural for how to do change leadership. And I, I knew it was a bit of a cop-out because I knew that you really need, needed some automation to be able to make some of these things work. And my clients struggled with, okay, now I know the right thing. I have the book in front of me, but boy, this is really hard to do. I don't even know who the 10,000 people are in my company. Right. How therefore can I, can I treat them well from a change standpoint? And so I knew that, but I didn't have the, the, the technological capability. And now with the cloud, et cetera, and, and different ways of doing things, um, you don't need a big data center and lots of big mainframes and boxes of software to create a software product any longer. And so the first opportunity, of course, I had was to do it was, yeah, let's do this because my my customers need it. My clients need this. Uh, and it will make a big difference. And that hating work and going home on Friday night and uh, you know, kicking the dog because it was so horrible at work, maybe we can make a dent in that because we lead change better because we have this capability. And so that's the motivation behind it. Um, we've been at it for decades, if you want to, <laughs> but, but really the last couple years of really heavy duty programming and uh, you know, taking advantage of the technology. And you know, we're still not done. Uh, it's, it's probably never, it's like golf. You're never going to be perfect at it, uh, but we're, we're, we're making big, uh, big uh, head, headway with it. Right now. That's cool because you had the vision way before you had the technology. A lot of people will get the technology and then have the vision. So that, that's, 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 that's pretty cool that, that, that you saw this out, this need, and had, one had the patience and recognize the time. It's now's the time. Let's do it. Let's put this thing forward. That, that, uh, congratulations on that. that that's well, really neat. Well, well, thank you. And I think it's the opposite. It's impatience. You know, I've been frustrated this whole, <laughs> over all these years. Like, boy, I'm looking for the way to solve this problem. And, uh, and then, you know, obviously first opportunity, like I said, jump on it because, yeah, you just see that needs. I mean, so often in, in, in software development or any kind of product development, it starts with the need that the customer has. And, you know, so it's very frustrating to see this need and not be able to to help with it or solve it. And I was helping one at a time, right? You know, so I would be out with my client. Uh, now we can help hundreds and thousands of organizations do this with the software tool. So yeah, I've been chomping at the bit for a while. 
uh, and hoping I didn't run out of runway uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> time, lifetime-wise to, to be able to solve the problem. So we're close. We're there. So, so from the transition from lack of to from transition management advisors to constituent hub. Now you spoke at the, the Ohio chapter of National Speakers Association a while back, and you were talking about this thing called the purpose story. And you were doing a lot of that with the transition management piece. How does this all connect? What is the purpose story? I mean, I said to it, and I, and I even I even found my some of my notes and looking back on it. But help the audience understand what is the purpose story and and the the need for it and and how it bridged your previous company to Constituent Hub. Yeah, certainly. As I found that I needed to explain what the software did. Um, and specifically work towards uh, my direct marketplace. And one of the target marketing personas that I work with, work with for this in large companies is the chief information officer, the head of information technology. And so I, I started by writing a manifesto uh, about the, the issues that that person is dealing with. So if the CI, and I actually write this, wrote this manifesto from the standpoint of a CIO's morning meetings, one after another, of where they're impacted and, and, and negatively affected by the fact that they're not leading change well. And then why don't we lead change well? And why is it so hard, right? right. And so the idea of the manifesto is for that potential buyer, that prospect for a constituent hub to say, geez, this is me, this is us, uh, and this looks like a solution. And so part of that is defining the problem very clearly, right? right. And, then, and then defining that potential for a solution. And out of that work on developing the manifesto, I discovered that I really needed a story that made this all make sense and, and described the purpose of why we were doing what we were doing. You know, why Why don't we just keep using spreadsheets, right? So there's got to be a reason. Right. And so um, I, I looked at my experience and, and found uh, a really powerful story that described the purpose. And so I call it the purpose story. And, and there's a formula that gets you to that purpose story. But um, it, it could be called origin story. You'll hear that. But, it, but the purpose story doesn't have to be an origin story. It doesn't have to be the beginning. But it describes very um, humanly uh, what the purpose is so that we get past the, the data stuff and get to the heart of the matter, the emotion of that. Um, because that's what these leaders are dealing with and struggling with. And so if I can touch you in your heart, about the mechanics and all of the stuff that you're dealing with in your job, you have a better chance of listening to me. And I think that almost anybody offering a service or a product has to have such a thing. And so that's why I was spending time with our speaker colleagues to say, you know, what's your purpose story? How do you develop it? How do you deliver it? How do you live it? And get on that journey uh, for trying to find what that purpose story is. Well, you've got an amen from this audience member uh, because that's my whole crux around writing this this next book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really about how, it's either transforming or translating technical information into action, and, and that's what you're trying. That's what you're trying to do, uh, and and put it in kind of plain English, but 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 touch the heart. And, and I do remember when you when you started this purpose story, you, you had. Everybody just kind of, where is he going with this? Because if I remember correctly, it was some, something about you, you had to take your wedding ring off? Exactly. Well, you know, I study, I study good storytelling like you do as well. And, and I think that as professional speakers have to do that, right? It's what we do for a living, right? Right. But I think everybody could benefit from that. So, so where do we start a story? And I needed to grab your attention. And so I actually start the story with, they made me take off my wedding ring. I've been married over 25 years. I never take off my wedding ring. And so you're paying attention right away, correct? Right, right. And, and then what it turns out to be is that I actually had to take off my wedding ring and roll up my sleeves and wash my hands and arms with antibacterial soap because I was standing in front of the neonatal intensive care unit in a hospital. Again, you're hooked. You're paying attention. Right. And what I do then with the story is talk about how 
the leadership of change affected those caregivers inside the NICU with a baby that was in trouble. And so I used that real life situation and one that's very um, hard hitting in order to make the point saying, hey, and, and by the way, my story, if you recall, shows me in a very vulnerable position. It wasn't me being the hero. All right. It was it was that we screwed up. We didn't do a good as good a job as we could. And of course, I bring that around to say, well, but if we had constituent hub, it would have worked out a lot better. <laughs> uh, you know, no doubt about that. But um, it's very it's a very personal, um, touching type story. And and you don't have to have one that's that dramatic. But I, I really do need to bop people over the head with this to really get their attention because this is something they've been struggling with for a long time and, and almost made it part of their habit that they're supposed to struggle with this, right? So I have to wake them up a little bit and that's what the purpose story is designed to do. And that opening is just to bring you in. And that, when I tell that story, sometimes somebody will say, wait a minute, who made you take your wedding ring off? Why? You know, they, they actually <laughs> call that out because uh, it sounds so strange, but that's that's exactly what you want in your purpose story for people to stop what they're doing and pay attention to what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I think, and I, I was guilty of this, and I still am to a point. I, I'm getting better with it, but uh, uh, I don't know if you know Judy Carter. She was mm -hmm. helping me write a keynote. She, she was the one who first taught me about how to develop a story. And she goes, Pete, it's not chronological. And I think a lot of people think of stories, I got to go from point A to point Z, and I got to go through this timeline, which is really not that. Well, I, I think that you need an ethnic background in order to be able to, to really get this, right? I'm Italian. We just <laughs> sit around the table and tell stories to each other, waving our arms. Sometimes the stories overlap. You get interrupted. You have to come back and <laughs> tell your story. <laughs> That's good training, right, over that dinner table. Yeah. And, and so you're right. It doesn't have to be chronological. Um, it has to set the stage. And, and when we talk about, I'm sure we're going to get into how we prepare ourselves to tell the story and, and how we own the story. You know, improv is no joke is the title of the mm -hmm. podcast. And, and when you think of improv, you think of, of winging it. And I know you teach that it's a little bit more than that. Right. Um, but, but that preparation and really knowing the story, understanding how you're chopping up and making it non-chronological, perhaps, um, allows you to bob and weave in the story to be able to bring pieces of it in and out. Um, and that, that just holds the interest of the person listening. And that's very important. And I think the thing that, that really fascinated me about this is, and we've had this conversation, the amount of detail, the amount of scripting, the amount of this and this, and you've got on the energy flow and how meticulous that you have devised this to the point that it's so ingrained in your mind that it becomes, so when you deliver, it has a natural feel to it, not a scripted feel to it. And, and which is a, which is a different way than, than I prepare, but I'm, I'm fascinated by this. Well, it's a paradox. And and if you don't stop and pay attention for a second and think about it, it's easy to ignore. It's easy to say, well, I just give me bullet points and I'm good and I'll just let it flow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get that. And I do that too. But um, if you stop for just a second, think about it, the, the level of preparation actually allows you to have an increased ability to flow with the story and the audience so that it is actually, it's more freedom than less to, to do all of this over preparation. And again, it's a paradox. It, it, you have to actually experience it before you believe me. But uh, yeah, that work of, of preparing and, and how intricate the story is, it's very important. I mean, if I skip the part about the mother being wheeled into the NICU to see her baby that's in trouble, if I skip that part, um, then three three segments later in the story, you're not going to get it. You know what I mean? So right. it, it has to be that intricate. And some of the language is important because we, you know, one of the biggest benefits in, in storytelling, joke telling, what have you, is the callback. Being <laughs> able to call back something that you heard earlier. And right. so having things in the right order is pretty darn important. And if you just wing it, sometimes you mess up that order and, uh, and you have a problem. Now, with that said, 
with all that preparation, if you need to veer off and go in a different, take a different angle for a moment, you can, and then you could come back because of that preparation. And so that flow works with the audience. It, it's the opposite of rigid, even though it sounds very rigid in the, in the preparation. And so that's part of the next level part of storytelling. Uh, and, you know, it, it looks easy from the stage. Uh, and that's because of the, all the hard work. Uh, so it's just like any other profession. You know, you make it look easy, but it's, right. it's this work that does it. And would you mind if I if I um, put the uh, uh, the documents that that I have out on the uh, on my webpage for this episode, so uh, somebody who's listening can go and grab this and look at it and understand how detailed and time consuming uh, this is, and to so they get a really full understanding. Absolutely. I have no problem with that. I, I don't have a shingle out teaching this. Uh, this is just for us buddies to talk about sharing the way I go about it. Uh, so I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. No problem at all. And anybody that would like to contact me and just chat about their story, I'm, I'm happy to do that. It's fun, fun for me to do that. So no problem. I, I will. I will put your website uh, and how to contact you in the show notes as well. But I, I, I love this because it's, it's you, you've got you know, uh, this grid, line, keyword, script, flow, flow meter, and you've got this thing scripted out and you get to the end and it says 793 words at 130 words per minute. It's about six minutes. And that just, that I, that just fascinates me. But, but then the grid with the energy flow on, and, and I think this is the key part. Uh, uh, one of the key parts in, in storytelling is taking that emotion level up, but also bringing it back down and taking it back up and bringing it back down. And, and I remember w- when I saw this, when you were talking about at, at our chapter meeting, my mind went to Bruce Springsteen and his music. Well, I'm, and, I'm, I'm thrilled about that. Keep going. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> and, 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 you know, Thunder Road or, or um, uh, uh, Badlands or most of what he's, you know, there's that, he, he takes you on this journey, but there's highs and lows. If you, if, or if you study his concerts, there's the highs and then he takes it down low, gives you a chance to breathe and, and reset yourself and takes you back up to these high level of emotion, which keeps our interest. Well, and I think Pete, you, you have to support your content as well. Let me give you a, an actual example from the story. If you look at, at row 14, um, the wow and the cow, um, humor sometimes helps. Mm-hmm. I'm about to drop something very, very heavy on you. I'm going to tell a story about a baby who's in effect dying, right? Right in front of us. And, um, you know, what's this have to do with change leadership and constituent hub, right? Well, you, you we'll check the it. show notes and take a look <laughs> at the script and you'll see. But no, I'm going to hit you with some really heavy stuff. So right before I do, I've got you at a high level from a, a flow meter standpoint. You know, I'm, I'm building like, a, mm-hmm. like we're going uphill on that roller coaster, right? But I then throw in some humor and make you laugh. So I talk about the they wheel up to the to the baby in the incubator. I we wheel up the work the, the wow the wow stands for workstation on wheels. They used to call it a cow. It was computer on wheels, but then they <laughs> there was a lawsuit when they said it was out in the hallway, and they said move that cow out of the hallway, and one of the patients sued them. We <laughs> laugh right then, right? So I'm I I let the bubble out a little bit, right? Yeah, the, yeah. I poke the balloon so that we can let some of the uh, energy out. Because now we're going to get heavy. So I made you laugh while we we're just about to cry almost, right? Yeah. So you have to pay attention to that. If you watch a movie, they do that to you. Yes. If you watch a song, you listen to a song like you, like you described, they do that to you. And we have to control that energy flow. And sometimes it's very positive energy, laughing and having fun. And sometimes it's very negative energy, very somber, quiet. And sometimes it's it's angry, and right? We have all of those different emotions within a story and it's our job telling the story to manage those very closely. And if I forget that piece of humor, again, this goes to the preparation. If I forget that piece of humor, you, you're worn out before I finish the story if I hadn't given you that break earlier. That's right. like giving you, uh, you know, a water bottle and energy bar on the second mile of your race uh, and, and wondering why you're not tired in the 10th mile versus if I didn't give you that, you'd be exhausted at the 10th mile, you see? So 
that's what we're doing with telling a story. And this could be in a conference room to our team or in front of an audience of a thousand people, right? It doesn't matter. It's all the same. We're human beings listening to a story and, and living it with the storyteller. And that's what that's about. And that creates action. Exactly. That- uh, you're, you're not thinking about your, your uh, grocery list while we're telling the story, right? right. <laughs> you're, you're into it and you're, what's going to happen next? Right. What's the point? Um, and, and how is he going to make this point and bring this around, right? And, and again, practicing around the dinner table with my Italian relatives, you know, you, you, have to make, you have to figure out how to get there and get the point with all these interruptions. And, and again, that's what we're dealing with, um, you know, from the front of the room. Now, there's probably some really poor speakers that, you know, and you're used to those and you go sit in the audience and you plan on being bored as they read their PowerPoint slides to you. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about telling you the purpose behind something that's going to be actionable. Like in my case, uh, implementing Constituent Hub in your company. Uh, In your case, it it might be uh, to sell your widget to your customer or your service of doing the taxes at tax time for your clientele, right? It's all all applicable, this same formula of telling the purpose story and being able to, to pull that out. Um, so that's what it's about. And, and as I like to say, you, you, you want to inspire your audience to action, not inspire them to do the conference prayer or the meeting prayer, which is basically they look at their their smartphone and they have their head bowed and uh, all you see is that light shining on their face like oh (laughs) well you know i'm a past president of nsa ohio and i know you're soon to be elected president (laughs) of nsa ohio we deal with new speakers a lot and so often we'll see a new speaker and uh you know in college it was what's your major in speaking it's what do you speak about right and and so somebody will say inspirational what the heck does that mean? You know, what are you inspiring me to do? Right. And, and so everything that we do should be inspirational. And so the stories um, that have to do with the mechanical things of our job should be inspirational too, but they're inspirational to that action that you're talking about, uh, whatever it needs to be. And, and this is just a great vehicle to get the message across. And that's what we're talking about. And a lot of that action is drives buying behavior. Uh, whether you're, we're in business, we want people to buy our ideas, buy our products, buy our services, buy our thoughts. And, and by bringing this emotion in, into that story to tell, the probability increases. So how do we go from this purpose statement into that action item or, or that, that buying the, the product or, or buying the idea? Well, let's, let's break down the formula. I, I think I developed this formula just to try to make this make sense. I call it the purpose formula. So when we talk about the, pur- the purpose formula, it builds. Uh, and, and let's start with intent. So I have an intent to offer a product like Constituent Hub. Mm-hmm. And then there's a problem. There are people that are having trouble out there leading change well. And so with that, intent plus problem equals a product, right? So I have right. a product. Uh, now at that's, this point, I'll say, so what? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> right? But intent plus a problem, and then if I add a customer in there, I can have a great product because the customer has feedback into what that product is, and that's what I'm doing with my current customers right now with our product. Right? They're giving me input into how it works and what makes sense. If I have that great product, then I only have at that point an opportunity to sell. Mm-hmm. That's it. I just have an opportunity. If I have a great product and I add plus the purpose, plus the customer, I get a sale, right? If I've got great purpose, then I have more sales. So that's what we're talking about, positioning your purpose so that you have a sustainable business. So part of it is unveiling that purpose, explaining that purpose. And then finding that customer's connection and link to that purpose so that it's theirs too. So when I tell that purpose story, it's not just about me and why I came up with Constituent Hub. It's that this is a big deal and this story just highlighted for me, so maybe it'll highlight it for you, that this is such a big deal that we should together do something about it. And now it's not a customer situation, but we're now partnered in solving this problem together. 
you have this problem too, right? Okay, right. yeah, so let's put our heads together. We're going to solve it. And that's when we now have a working relationship that allows us to uh, get to that sustainable business uh, part of the equation that we're after. Got it. But you said something there, and I'm going to take a little zig here for a second. You wrote an article, a blog posting, about something about the difference between a vendor and a partner. Hmm. And I, that that has been a, a thing of mine because I don't I, I I I don't look at the word vendor. I think it's taken in a negative context. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're like a, sec- a second class citizen versus being a partner, being having having an equity an equity being in mind interest into your business that I want to be more of a partner and thought of that way versus a a vendor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you, as you were describing this, you meant partnering, which triggered that 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 thought, is by telling does does by telling this 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 uh, story and the way that you're crafting it, you're making that emotional connection with with, with your customer. Where now you you have that partnership uh, perception versus the vendor who comes because this is what I got to sell. Exactly right. I I, I deal with. Um, Fortune 1000 companies, some Fortune 100 companies. That's my client base. So Constituent Hub, I've, I've brought it down to 1,000 employees is, is the minimum we'll work with. And, and sometimes it's 10,000 and they're global companies. None of that matters because those are human beings. I am no different from dealing with uh, in a small business basis with a consumer that's walking past my store on Main Street. It's the same thing. So it's human. Mm-hmm. We need to have that connection. We, we have to be uh, people with each other. And therefore, we partner together to solve a problem. So if, you, you know, if you're buying an app for your phone, it's a vendor, right? Who cares? I mean, it's what they offer. You need it. You use it. Boom, done. Um, we're talking about how we're shifting the way in my case, the way you're leading change in your organization that could affect thousands of people uh, and, and of course, your bottom line and stock price and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so we better partner together. This isn't something you're buying off the shelf. Um, so this is a human being um, and we're talking to each other and you have a problem and we're solving it. And so um, there's some services involved uh, here where we have to think it through. It's not just plug and play. At least my software isn't. And so given that, yeah, that partnership is very important. If you treat me like a vendor, you're going to evaluate my software. If you treat me like a partner, you're going to figure out with me how you could best use it. Do you see the difference? Yes. Right? And that's what we're after. So for me, it's, it's negating those people who want to treat me like a vendor. So they want to do a request for proposal, an RFP, Mm -hmm. and have me submit an RFP to compete against five other vendors. We don't do that, right? Right. We're going to work together because you have a problem to solve and I have a solution and let's figure out if it's going to work together. And, and, And then, you know, that relationship develops so that the product is better. And, and then it's better for you as the user of that product as well. It takes extra time. It takes extra effort. Uh, it would be nice to have plug and play, you know, like, oh, you need a cup of coffee. Here's a cup of coffee. I have a coffee shop. Done. Transaction mm-hmm. over. Um, that's not what this is. And so I don't think we should treat it that way. You know, we, we, we need to build that relationship. And so I have to touch you emotionally in order for you to, for each other to know that we're both human enough to make this make sense. Um, because if I leave you all by yourself, you're, you know what you're going to say about Constituent Hub? Oh, well, that's going to take some effort. That's going to be too hard. I don't know if we need to do that. Ugh, I don't know. Right. Um, but if I'm there saying, okay, problem here, right? Now let's solve that problem. It's a whole different dynamic that happens. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, some of my clients call me before they hire somebody and ask me my opinion. I want to know because we're partners, right? That's part right. of the advisory work that we do. Um, and that's because of that relationship that we build. So can you build that relationship at scale is right. the question, right? And, and I, I love that because I, I believe that wholeheartedly. Um, one, of my, one of my clients, we, it's a partnership. And they'll call and say, Pete, we've got a request uh, for X, Y, and Z. Uh, we don't have it. You've got the expertise. Can you build that? 
presentation? Can you build that? And through dialogue and through conversation, it works. Uh, and we've had this conversation. I said, no, you're, you're a business partner. You're, you're not a, a, a vendor because you, the, the trust level between us has, has grown over time that, that helped build that strong relationship. And I use that as well as when I uh, speak to large audiences or small audiences of, of, of CPAs, quite frankly, anybody, I, one of the questions I love to ask them is, what business are you in? And when I asked that from from like CPAs, like, well, we're in the advisory business, so we we were in the tax business, so we're in, you know, consulting and all this, and I'll let it go on for a bit, and then I'll go, well, those are all byproducts of the true business that you're in, and I'll get some really frustrating looks, and a few people just want to like look like they want to punch me, until I go, you know, the business you're truly in is the people business first and foremost. Everything else is a byproduct because you're not going to be a consultant. You're not going to be doing tax work. You're not going to be doing the auto work if you haven't developed a relationship with the organization, a relationship with the people, the people that work with you and the people that you serve. And uh, it's amazing how the light bulb goes on, uh, and we, but we forget about that. Well, and I, you know, I don't know, maybe you can help me with this after the call, uh, after our podcast, maybe, but I don't understand why the heck do you tax folks charge by the hour or accounting oh. CPA? I don't get it. I mean, because if you're my partner in my business, we're trying to make my business better. Um, why do we have this transactional thing that happens? It's silly. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and so sometimes there's structure in place. A professional structure in place right. that precludes you having the best relationship uh, with your client, and so um, you almost need to look at everything. You need to you really pick it apart and say, "What am I reinforcing with my activities uh, so that uh, it, I, I'm precluding my client from treating me the right way or right. Tra- relationship wise?" Right. Uh, and and so yeah, it's it's in all of our best interest to look at those dynamics. And see how that thing works so that we're in the right spot to do the most good, because that's really what our motivation is not to, you know, get the most billings or make the most money or what have you. It's to actually do. So if you're having trouble coming up with your purpose story, maybe you need to look at why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, And there are evil people out there. This doesn't work for them. Right. So (laughs) that's uh, that's something to think about. How does what's the dynamic? Well, that's interesting you should mention that because uh, some or some companies, have, CPA firms have moved from this billing time, whatever, to a fixed fee model where we've got that relationship. And, and I interviewed uh, Jody Paydar, who's a radical CPA, earlier in the year, and she's got another episode coming up where she talks about that. And, and there's a firm actually in Lancaster, Ohio, that has been uh, featured on the uh, in the Journal of Accountancy called Snyder & Company. Uh, and one of the principles is, oh, Linda Sheridan, I, I, I believe, uh, I believe I got the names right, uh, that they they changed their whole model to more of a fixed fee type of model, more that relationship model, and their business has exploded. Because mm-hmm. um, it's, it's really all about people. And, and your business is all about people. Well, there's no doubt about it. And, and for me, it's people twice removed, you know, because we've got the people that who are, who are my clients, and they've got people to worry right. about. And so, I know how how do we support what they're doing? Well, we have to model my relationship with them has to model the relationship they should have with their constituents. And so, um, looking at that whole uh, chain of events for customers and mm-hmm. constituents is is very important and it gives you some hints uh, as to how you might approach things and, and what you need to do. Uh, now, you know, how do you tell the story of you being different and your differentiation? And again, that's where, where the storytelling piece comes in. So. And it is, I mean, the, as I'm writing as I'm writing this book, I'm still struggling a little bit with, with, with the title. I'm going down this path of tell me in plain English. Uh, we, we spend a lot of time trying to come up with that idea, that thought, that, that uh, but we don't spend the time understanding our audience. Hmm. And I think that has a big, and that's something that, that National Speaker Association has taught me over time. It's not about me. It's about my audience. And my audience comes first. And we've had this conversation. And, and I think once you, that part of that mindset shift, it's not like, here's a product I have to sell to you. 
now. What are your needs? What do you want? What are your pain points? What, 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 what is the intent? Where's the problem? Once we understand that, then we can provide the solution. But a lot of times organizations and within, we're just thinking about ourselves and not putting ourselves in our clients, customers' shoes and empathizing with them. We have to get the work done, and it's really easy to to jump into the mechanics of doing the work and how do we actually deliver. Um, but sometimes we're we can get ourselves into a box where we're so busy doing the work that it, it turns into rules and policies and um, you know management says this. You know, if there's a sign that says you know sign the management, you know you're in trouble. Uh, you know, uh, because we're so wrapped up in the in the mechanics of the work, when we think about the overall ecosystem and your customer and the situation they're in, um, where does the activities of a CPA fit into the world of the CPA's customer? Mm-hmm. Thinking about it from that viewpoint can give you um, gives you a lot of room for creativity and innovation for how you go about doing that work. And, and it, it works itself out if you do it well in, as far as profitability and, and uh, volume and all of those, those things. I think sometimes we've just taken the easy way out, you know, so we just get a volume and we fill up the calendar, the days, hours, mm-hmm. we bill by the hour. It's how we do it. Um, and we may be trampling our customers as we're doing that because that's the model that we use. And so how can you be more innovative and creative? Well, if you're thinking about the problems that you're trying to solve for that customer, um, do you even know about them as they come up in that mechanical model or not? Um, and, and that's where opportunity lies, right? Right. So in thinking about managing change and constituent hub, and you've got a, an organization, say an accounting firm out there that wants to go through this change and get away from the hourly time billing model to something different, something uh, more of a, a fixed fee type of arrangement, this type of culture. Dep- obviously, depending on the size of the firm or, or, or uh, 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 probably more of a regional uh, type of firm, it, it sounds like Constituent Hub would be a nice fit for them to manage that process in changing whatever they're trying to change within the organization and have a better understanding of how that is working. Sure. I, I think that what Constituent Hub can do is, is highlight for you the actual methodology or approach that you should take from a change standpoint. So forcing you to think about things like the different constituencies and at your, at your client company, the different levels of people that you're interacting with and their various perspectives and communicating with them in their own language the, the appropriate way for where they sit. Thinking in terms now of your delivery people within your firm and how they have to do their job differently and, and really designing your process uh, work process around this new way and looking for areas where you're backtracking to the old way because that's what you're comfortable with. Um, looking at what it does to those people in their career track because of the change you're making. Those are all of the things that are necessary, some of the things that are necessary to make leading change successful. And um, it's hard to, to, to get your arms around all of those. It's not what we specialize in or do every day. Right. And, uh, and so so that's where uh, thinking about this as its own entity, this this process of leading change uh, requires some additional work and thought, and and sometimes outside expertise because you don't own that expertise. You don't do that every day, so that's where we come in. Right, and, and I'm a I'm a I'm a big believer that if you don't have the expertise, go find it, find that coach, find that company to come in and help you transition to something new, and, and be there to. Be by your side during the implementation to make sure everything goes smooth and understand, like you said, this is co- you're constantly working on it. And as you customize it and tailor it for specific customers or clients, there could be a hiccup or two, but you're there to help fix it, solve it, move it forward. Boom. Now, sometimes there's a gentle tap on the shoulder. You're right. I mean, just like, really? Are you think about that for just a second? 
Let's stop for a minute. Oh, okay. So the right way would be to do it this way. Yes. Right. And it just, you need somebody to tap you on the shoulder because if you're dealing with production issues, um, your mindset is a little different than you would than when you're in the mode of trying to implement a change long term. And so just having that somebody to remind you and think about it clearly uh, and looking at it from a different perspective could pay huge dividends. And that's what that's what I do. Um, I think you do that as well with your customers. So right. And, and as, as you as you're saying that, I, I'm I'm sitting there going, if you're looking for that expertise internally, I'll, I'll back up. Um, when I was chair of the House Society CPA's executive board, one of the things that I wanted to do, we had 17 board members, all CPAs. That's, I, that's group think. They all think like, somebody said, no, no, I'm in industry. I'm in tech. I said, no, no, no. We all think alike. I want to put somebody on this board who's not a CPA, like a Jim, and have him in these meetings because you're going to think of something that none of us are going to ever think about that could solve that problem. And that's what you're doing with your customers and clients. You're you're doing. That's what I try to help them do with my with my customers. I make them think in a little different way that they would not normally to see what the potential solution could be. Yeah, and I think Pete, one of the things that that I do with my clients, I'll I'll work. And this is transition management advisors. Uh, I'll work with the CEO and their direct reports. It tends to be about a dozen people around the table, and. They have a staff meeting, an executive staff meeting every month. It's on a Wednesday, let's say. Uh, and the goal of the staff meeting is to say as little about a bullet as possible so you can get to the next bullet, right? That's the idea of a staff meeting. And and, I, and that's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be. I, I get it. Um, what, what I usually do then is I spend Thursday with the same team, and we take some of those bullet points, and we go as deep as possible on mm-hmm. each one. And that's the kind of thing that you know we typically don't do. We don't go deep on subjects. And so what we're trying to do from a leadership standpoint is it's a formula that I came up with called 90-10 to 60-40. Uh, <laughs> 90-10 to 60-40. Okay. Uh, and here's what, I'm, what I mean by that. 90% of your being, uh, mm-hmm. what you do, what you see, what you read, what you talk about, what you, what you think about every day, is focused on your department. 90% versus 10% focused on the overall organization. Hmm. Now, there are some weird positions within a company where that's different, but right. that's typical. In fact, some of my executive clients say, you know, you're joking. It's real more like 99-1, right? Not <laughs> instead of 90-10. Yeah. Well, what I'm trying to do is shift you from 90-10 to 60-40. 60% of your being focused on your department and a full 40% of your being focused on the company overall. Think about the change that that represents. It's a massive shift in how you think about things. You start thinking about the overall organization, and you could do things like cross boundaries. I can take your best person for a special project in my area and help you backfill for that person. It's for the good of the company. Where typically I would, you would say, I'm not giving you my best person. There's no chance, right? Right and, right. and so that's that going deeply can't happen inside. Usually, it needs an outsider to drag you through that because it's so easy to give up on that because yeah. you got to worry about this month's numbers and production and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and so that's that's where um, you know getting some outside help can be very very important. And those are the kinds of things that. Um, you know, any professional services firm can provide if they're thinking about that um, with their clients and thinking uh, more uh, in what we're trying to accomplish with them as a partner than if we're trying to sell them a thing, uh, you know, a product or service. As as you were telling that story, I I went immediately, I just finished Steve Jobs' autobiography uh, last month. Fascinating read. But there was a piece in there that, you know, Jobs, the, the, he goes. There's only one balance sheet. There's only one income statement. We don't have different, you know, financial reporting for these different departments. We're one company, not seventeen different factions trying to grab a piece of the pie. Kind of to your sixty forty thing. And, have you ever and, seen sales and marketing go at it? Right? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It's just, there's some natural clashes that are built into our organization structure. Yeah. Have you seen accounting go at it with everybody else in the organization? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and you know what? And I, you know, you've heard this before. Hey, can you come in and, and speak in December? I, I, I'll, I'd really like to have you. And it's kind of a last minute thing. And they say, well, you know what? If I don't spend this money in my training budget, I won't get it next year. 
I know how silly. It's like save the money. I mean, but yeah, <laughs> but we get into that silo effect that 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 ninety ten or ninety nine point nine 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 percent of just worrying about our own self interest. I don't think we should knock down the silos. I think we need silos. That's what makes the work done. We need to figure out how to cross the boundaries between the silos, right? Right. And that's what the 90-10-60-40 formula does for you. Uh, But it it, it definitely shifts gears uh, quite a bit. Uh, And and that's, that's, we need to look at bigger picture, really. And that's what we're doing is bigger picture. Exactly. Uh, Jim, I can't thank you enough. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to this episode airing. Uh, and actually, there's a few people out there I'm going to directly send a link to because I think they can get a lot of value out of this podcast episode. Um, it, it was an absolute pleasure. I'm glad that we're in the same city. I'm glad we can have a chance to have lunch together. I'm glad that, hey, look, see, I'm Greek, so I can, you know, I, I get the Italian sit around the table and, and stuff. And I look forward to your counsel uh, through the remaining part of my president-elect and into my presidency at the Ohio chapter of the National Speakers Association. Pete, I'm sure it'll be very successful. I had a blast uh, on this episode and hopefully we'll find a reason to come back and do this again. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. We will find a way to come back. I guarantee that. I would like to thank Jim again for sharing his story on leading change and innovation through automation. Very interesting concept of Constituent Hub. I wish him all the success in the world. Now, if you like this episode or any of the 90 prior, share it with a friend, a coworker, or a stranger that you pass. Remember, you can connect with me on social media, and the platforms that I use are Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. You can subscribe to my monthly newsletter, which is full of useful tips and techniques on becoming a better improviser. And you can subscribe by going to my website, petermargaritas.com, and clicking the contact drop-down button on the menu bar of my homepage. In episode 92, I interview Mary Foley, who is the author of the book, Bodacious Woman, Outrageously in Charge of Your Life and Loving It. Thank you again for listening, and always remember to use the principles of improvisation to help you better connect and communicate with those in your organization and in your life. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.